Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. Now, as our co-hosts know, I've broken my headphones by dropping them one too many times, so they sound in my ears like just a bunch of bugs. But I would like to become a tech review podcast just real quick and tell me what the best headphones I can buy are, because it's time. I know the answer to this. The free ones I got for working here. (laughs) 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 They're Audio-Technica's. Audio-Technica headphones, huh? You know, we have a sound expert on the line right now. Hey, Tuna, what should I, what kind of headphones should I buy? Uh, My go-tos are Sony MDR7506. That's a lot of MDR750. That's the first one that comes up. Tuna, you sounded so smart. (laughs) You did, right? You just said so many letters and numbers like they were nothing. (laughs) Yeah, they're not that expensive. They're expensive, but they're not that expensive. I will say that just the ear cups cost as much as some headphones I've bought. But I've only had to buy one of these. Are you saying that I can drop them an infinite number of times? Because I will. That's I've dropped one a lot. Like location sound people use them, which is how I got into gotcha. them. And so you're out there. Like uh, yeah. you can buy replacement cups that are a little nicer because these ones 
dissolve in sweat a little bit, like just the protective covering. The cups melt in sweat? The standard ones do. If you go hard enough. You mean you don't have acid sweat, Sam, like the rest of us? (laughs) You're not a lizard person? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Tuna. And thank you to the entire audio engineering profession for really putting it through the the ringer. And everybody, Sony MDR7506. Yeah. That's the ones that Tuna thinks you should get. And send us a pair. We'll wear them on a video podcast. I'll go like this every episode so you can see the logo the whole time. (laughs) Showing the logo? Yeah. Mm -hmm. A very natural podcast stance to not be looking at your co-podcasters because (laughs) you're too busy showing off the brand. It says on the side of them, professional. Oh, that's on the headphone. That's how right you on know. the side. That's how you know. <laughs> I love when things say good. Or <laughs> <laughs> these ones don't say that. I don't know how I fa- how I even got these headphones. They seem like the worst ones th- so far. Maybe <laughs> you get compliments on them on the live streams a lot, though. Do or I? When we do the premieres. People are like, Hank has such cool headphones. I think people just like stylish. how shiny they are. Yeah, they're very big. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, they're quite large. That's how you know they're good. But they don't say large on them. So how do you really know? Well, you know, they have a lot of positive reviews. And if you get them on Amazon, they are fourteen dollars. <laughs> All right. That's a great price point. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're available to most. So every week here on SciShare Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory, but also for Hank Bucks, which I'll be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, we'll have a winner. But first, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This week, it's from Sari. Sometimes we come across a word that means too many things, a catch-all term for lint or cells or stuff in Saturn's rings. We clean dust from our houses, but we put dust on our faces. It flakes off from our roads or trees no matter what the place is. Dust piles up in nooks and crannies of our universe. It just is like light or foam or ice for better or for worse. Dust coats us and it's from us. It combusts and it shines. It's a menace to our spacecraft, our human lungs and minds. It's helpful till it's harmful, it's organic, and it's not. But I know for sure we see lots more when it's freaking hot. Dust whips up from the desert, circumnavigates the earth. Seeding clouds and feeding life is where it gets its worth. Dust. Dust. The topic for the day is dust. And we're going to have no idea what dust is, I bet. Sari, what's dust? It's stuff, you know. (laughs) It's little stuff. It's a bunch of little crap. Heavy enough to, like, settle Build up mm-hmm. in layers. Mm-hmm. See it yeah. usually when it's when it's in certain quantities, but also light enough to be kind of blown around, carried by the wind or oh, yeah. or mm-hmm. a gust of air. And I any, feel like that part, even if it's key. not like wind, strength. it has to be able to be blown around. Maybe, right? but also they talk about like interstellar dust, and there's no wind out there. If there was, though, it would be blowing all over the place, right? I don't know how big dust gets in the. In the universe. Oh, interesting. Is, is like, is dust, when they talk about like clouds of dust in the galaxy, is that really little? You'd think that would be something I Google for the definition section. <laughs> How no, there's so many dusts. Yeah. You hit dust. me with so many dusts already. Yeah. How big is space dust? What's the dust we put on our faces? I didn't, uh, that part tripped me up. Oh, like, like makeup. makeup dust. Oh, like, uh, right, right, right. Old timey, you Powders. use coal dust and mascara, but you got a little powder puff. I got you. Uh, cosmic dust is small, is very small. It's between a few molecules and 0.1 millimeters. So, oh, wow. Even smaller than dust here on Earth. 
Because I think that something that is a few molecules, we wouldn't even call that dust. It no. would just be a particle. We call it nothing. Yeah, I think that's because when you get kind of small, I was looking at like particle pollution and things like that because they've got a really great scale of of dust. It's usually PM, which stands for particulate matter and then a number. And so PM10 is like 10 uh, mic- micrometers in diameter. Um, and that's mm-hmm. like dust or pollen or mold. It's even dust in the definition. And then PM 2.5 is the stuff that we're talking about with like wildfire smoke. So combustion particles, oh. um, organic compounds and whatnot. And that's 2.5 micrometers. And that's Those still, are smaller? Is that smaller? Those are smaller than dust. Okay. But bigger mm. than space dust. Sure. So between the two dusts. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great title for your novel. So, and when you talk about, like, people sometimes ask, like, what is the dust in my house? And it's like, well, it's a bunch of things. It's not, it's definitely not just one thing. For a while, everybody was like, it's skin cells. It's like, well, that's it. That's among the things. That's part of it. Depends on where you are. Depends on, you know, if you're in a dry, dusty area, it's going to be like a lot of inorganic stuff. If you live near a road, it's going to be a lot of brake and automobile stuff. Uh, It's always going to have some skin cells. but. There's just dust, man. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of textile. So like dust oh, bunnies yeah, are stuff. usually yes. like fur, clothes, couch, mm-hmm. paper fibers, yeah. et cetera. And that's what mm-hmm. makes it stringy and fluffy. Mm-hmm. Um, that Carpet. All things Carpet that we pieces. have in our homes. Yep. Yeah. Are you a dust minder or a dust not minder? Like, do I care about dust? Yeah. If it's sitting around your house. Well, when you have a person you live in a house with. The amount of anything that builds up is really the tolerance level of the person with the lowest tolerance. And I am my our tolerances are so far apart. <laughs> I have not seen dust <laughs> since getting married. It, well, oh, and like nice. even in my office, I don't <laughs> see dust, which is wild because I don't clean out here. Oh, and neither wow. does anyone else. Maybe I just like have like a static electric charge all the time. And it could I be. You're attracting dust. it all. Oh, you're repelling it all. Or yeah. it's all stuck to my body. <laughs> yeah, you're real dusty. I have some kind of dust-related superpower in that I, nothing gets dusty around me. You don't shed skin, I think, is yeah. what we're learning maybe. Could, could be that. Yeah, yeah, could be that. Could could be that I just am really good at not noticing things. Yeah, or if somebody <laughs> cleans your office and they're listening to this right now, being like, "What? He doesn't no even one know my office. Okay. No one cleans. No, no. <laughs> I'm the only one who cleans this place. Yeah. What yeah. if Oren's dusting? If Oren is dusting my office, <laughs> I will puke a million gold bricks. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Whoa. Hey, sorry. Do you know where where dust comes from? It's not super interesting as far as I, I've tried <laughs> oh, no. to find something Let interesting us about it. Yeah. Okay, okay. It's from Old English, German, Danish. Mm-hmm. They all sounded mm-hmm. kind of the same. Dunst, dist, dust. Very similar words in Proto-Germanic. That all meant some form of smoke or vapor or Mm. mist or dust. So any kind of small particulate, you can just barely see it floating through the air. We called that all all dust. So if it was smoky in a place in Old English, you'd say it's real dusty in here? Yeah, I think so. That's that's my impression of it. (laughs) I I can't time travel to see, but Mm -hmm. it was a catch-all kind of word. It's just kind of... Anything that's kind of cloudy and in your near vicinity is dust. The definition on this website that I found is fine, dry particles of earth 
or other matter so light that it can be raised and carried by the wind. That's what I said but at the I've beginning. Seen, I've seen the movie Twister. And oh. <laughs> lots of particles can be carried by the wind. A cow could Regard- be dust. <laughs> All, yeah, cow dust. And if there's enough of them, that is like in a fine layer over the whole landscape. It's a sliding scale of yeah. how windy. Yeah. Depends on how windy it is. What's dust? Depends. Depends on how windy and how much of the stuff there is. Because I feel like in order to find the oh, layer of it, you need a you need lot a of, cows. of cows. Sure. So you need a herd of cows yeah. to be swept up and then redeposited. Luckily, they usually come in herds. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Uh, you say, oh, it's dusty in here when you walk in and there's ca- a bunch of cows have slammed through yeah. your, this roof of your house. Right. Maybe not dry at that point. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. I do have a fun dry. word. I left a treat for myself that I just forgot Ooh. about it. Uh, oh. From the same Proto-Indo-European <laughs> root comes the word fume, So, which makes mm. sense because like mm-hmm. a cloud of dust, a cloud of fumes, mm-hmm. basically the same thing. But then from... The word fu- like fumus, meaning smoke or steam or fume, came the word fumit, which means excrement or poop of a game animal, especially a deer, because mm. they would do a little deuce, drop a deuce, and then <laughs> it would do a little stinky steam like in the cartoons. Oh. Um, and they would call it a, f- a fumit. And the only reason that this word has kind of like carried through to modern times is because of fantasy novels which i think is very funny because it sounds fancier than a fancy word for poop a fancy word for poop that also means vapors yeah yeah well that means that it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show which i have open here um so dust in addition to being really interesting kind of sucks it can make your home feel grimy and the back of your toilet look gross can make your allergies act up So humans have spent a lot of time over the centuries doing a lot of things to try and decrease the dust in your home from just whacking your rugs with sticks to inventing robot vacuums. So today we're going to try a game of truth or fail about the technologies in between those two. I'm going to present to you three (laughs) stories of incredible dust busting technology, but only one of them is going to be true. And you're going to have to figure out which one it is. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. Story number one. In the early 1900s, the British vacuum cleaner company would clean the homes of wealthy Londoners using a horse-drawn carriage, which carried a long hose that would be sent through a window to suction dust from surfaces, which is amazing. But that might not be true. It could also be story number two. In the 1950s, the Electroalkaline Company released a liquid rug protector that, after drying down, kept rugs dust-free by dissolving dust particles. It sold well until reports of skin irritation on the soles of customers' feet were traced to a solvent in the product that was also used in paint thinners. Or it could be story number three. The origins of the handheld vacuum go back to the 1960s when NASA asked Black & Decker to design a handheld tool that would allow spacecraft engineers to easily clean parts of their spacecraft that were hard to access with normal vacuum cleaners. So, is it wealthy Londoners calling upon horse-drawn vacuum cleaners to clear the dust from their homes, a dust-dissolving rug protector that was also dissolving people's feet, or the <laughs> handheld vacuum cleaner that was originally designed to clean space shuttles? What do you dissolve in dust into? It's already freaking dust. How much? How much littler or whatever could it get? You know, <laughs> maybe it's like a little damp. Like you spray your rug, and then it just gets wet, and then it dries out. And then it, the dust it gets less dusty. 
It's like the opposite of cleaning it. You just make it sink deeper into the rug so you don't see it anymore. But that's not dissolving it. So the word dissolving it, no. I think. Oh, well, so it's like skin cells, right? So imagine that you got to break those cells apart. Yeah. I got to break all the, the little flakes of skin to pieces so that it's so small that it just is, is, isn't, isn't detectable anymore. I'm writing that one off personally. I don't think it could be. Wow, Sam. He's bold. He's brash. I can't picture a horse-drawn vacuum cleaner. What oh, would it I even look so like? so easily can. Big hose. What? Okay, and then I'm you not, have a big, describe it to me. Then you have a big bellows, and you go, <laughs> and it sucks in the, the stuff. It, yeah. This is so I'm so torn because if they didn't do this, they should have. The only thing that is they just didn't think of it. What do they do? They just like brought the bellow to the home and then went. Well, the, I think the idea is that like whatever is doing the sucking is too big to fit in the home. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like pre-electric motors. That's I what's see. in the horse drawn carriage. So they had to, you know, have it outside and it would just shoot the dust like outside because who cares? It's out of your house. Wild to think there'd be that much dust, which of course there probably would be in London. Seems like it was maybe the capital of dust. (laughs) Yeah. They had to have chimney sweeps. Dust is a great word. There's so many fantasy novel dusts. Mm -hmm, Magic dusts of various kinds. Also, it's a drug. That's kind of what I thought you meant when you said the powder you put on your face was maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Angel dust, PCP. Sam, my head is too empty for that. I made a drug joke on Twitter the other day and like, I think nobody noticed because it's me. Like That couldn't have been that. I said that tweeting on X, I thought would be more fun than this. (laughs) Mm. I was going to ask if we are going to start calling it X. Absolutely no, not. And not, then you have to say not. And you have to say tweeting on X. What a crazy thing to say. Yeah, yeah, which sounds like you're on drugs. <laughs> like yeah. imagine if Google tried to change their name too. Oh no, I just I just um I just K'd that. I just, <laughs> yeah. I just G uh, even just yeah. G. Yeah, Everything on not. the website says Twitter stuff. <laughs> They're like, we've been planning this for months. And I'm like, you have not. <laughs> you have not. You didn't think of a new word for the thing you do on the website. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can't call it a zing. I'm sorry. Oh, well. Anyway, who knows? In three, in four weeks when this airs, the whole thing could have just collapsed. Absolutely. We're dating yes. ourselves. Yeah. A different world. Changed his mind. Uh, and then the last one, I feel like I've just heard that story before. So I'm pretty sure that's the right one. But I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. I also feel like I've heard it, but I, I know they invented a lot of stuff for space travel. Dang. So like, why not handheld vacuums? Why not? I guess is what I'm. I'm you kind of need one, I would assume. Your hair gets out of everywhere. What else are you going to do? You can't sweep. So this is embarrassing, but <laughs> Sylvia has a picture of me vacuuming my own feet. With a handheld <laughs> vacuum because it was not. I was like cleaning the house, and then you know how you, when yeah, you sweep the house, then your the like the bottom of your socks get dirty mm-hmm. and do that. Yeah. You can just do that in space too. You're like, oh, yeah, notice something on your space suit? <laughs> <It's> vacuum <laughs> exactly, yourself too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, handheld vacuums more than just for surfaces it can be for anything. That being said, my whole heart is with horse drawn vacuums. I need that one to be true. So, I'm going to go with that one. <gasps> All right. What do you think, Sari? Maybe this is boring. I think it's the handheld vacuum cleaner. I'm going to go with my gut. Well, your gut is great, but the truth is even cooler than that. Because NASA did ask Black & Decker to design a tool for them, but it was to help astronauts collect samples from the moon. To design a drill that was powerful, but also compact, that would be able to work with its own power source. 
And they had got a battery-operated drill with magnetized motor that ended up serving as the basis of the design of many other cordless devices that Black & Decker went on to make, including the Dust Buster. That's so cool. Interesting. But that means I'm wrong. That does mean you're wrong, unfortunately. And the good news for Sam is that, indeed, the British Vacuum Cleaner Company was the work of one oh Hubert gosh. Cecil Booth, who designed uh, Ferris, wheels, Ferris wheels and suspension bridges. Uh, he was also intrigued by cleaning wow. machines that worked by blowing air from surfaces and then uh, used a collecting bag to try and gather up the dust. He saw that and he was like, maybe it'd be easier if you could just suck the dirt directly up through a filter. And he demonstrated the idea by placing a handkerchief over his mouth and trying to suck up dust from the arm of the chair. <laughs> He's the first no. guy who ever did that. I guess somebody <laughs> has to be. Yeah, everything was so dusty, but it ended up being really big. Um, so it was originally a petrol powered motor connected to a long hose, which drew dust through a filter. It was later changed to an electric one, but because of the size, it couldn't go into the house. So they would you know, pull it up to the house. Uh, it was bright red. It had gold lettering and trim, and it was just wow. an advertisement for the service. And it stood outside of the home as the hose was inserted through a window and into the house where I could just suck the dust up from everything. So yeah, it, it was it was great uh, marketing because every time somebody ordered the service, everybody saw it and was like, "Man, I want to be cool like those people." <laughs> and it must have been successful because the the. Cleaner was used to clean Buckingham Palace, the Royal Mint, and Crystal Palace. Whoa. So congratulations job, on your Hubert. success. Dead Hubert. <laughs> Did he invent Dead the word Hubert. like vacuum cleaner? Was it that was like a I concept he thought so. up? Oh, okay. How has nobody ever like eaten popcorn before that and going Maybe. and sucking it off their hand and think, I have an idea? Maybe they did, Sam. I don't know. Hmm. But look, you got to give him credit where credit's due. Hubert was just better at branding himself. And maybe he did invent the vacuum cleaner. Who coined vacuum cleaner? Herbert yeah. Cecil Booth. What a thinker. And also American inventor David T. Kenny. How did two no. people come to the word <laughs> vacuum? Well, the word vacuum already existed, I think. Yeah. Uh, you're right. <laughs> 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 I was like, if I was to come up with a word for a dust sucker, it would not yeah. be vacuum, but about the dust. emptiness of vacuum. It would be you dust know. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely debate, but it seems like, like uh, Booth has the best claim. Okay. To have having coined the term, but then they just call they don't even call them vacuum cleaners in England. They don't. What do they call them? They're not even honoring their own man. They have to call them Hoovers. They could call them Huberts instead. That's right. That would yeah. be really nice. Show some respect. <laughs> <laughs> Make the change right now. You know what? I bet that I bet that guy never did anything questionable. <laughs> <laughs> we trust him implicitly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next up, we're going to take a short break, and then it will be time for the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Merriam and Webster... (laughs) 
<laughs> used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand, the only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary-defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, They sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. (laughs) It's not (laughs) what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts? I feel like honey (laughs) is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Get ready, everybody. We're the Fact Off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. After they have done that, I will judge them and I will award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. To decide who goes first, though, here's a trivia question. In April 2022, Bonham's Auction House put moon dust up for auction. But not just any moon dust. This was moon dust collected by Neil Armstrong as part of the Apollo 11 mission. How much did these samples end up selling for? Oh, I don't know how much money's worth stuff. 
and that's my like Castaria doesn't know dates. I don't know money. I mean, with stuff like this, it is always wild. Like it could yeah. be like several orders of magnitude apart. Like I yep. wouldn't be surprised if it was fifty thousand dollars, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was five million. I'm yep. like, I don't know how yeah. much a rich person would pay for dust. If it was fifty thousand, I might be like, oh, that's it. I might that's a little disappointing. Yeah. yeah, but like a rich person could be a space enthusiast mm-hmm. or the space enthusiast rich person could not be paying attention to the auction for whatever reason. Yeah, I feel like if you're the kind of person who spends a lot of money on space dust, probably when it comes up, you know, somebody you gotta, tells you. You got a Google alert. You got a guy for that. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to guess, conservatively, $250,000. I was going to guess $100,000. It's dust. It's just dust. <laughs> it's just dust. <laughs> It's just dust. It's not like some guy would pay five hundred and four thousand dollars for it. Which wow! Is how much for it. That sounds about insane. right. Well, you I guess can't that's get right. it. I, I mean, it's you so can't rare. go to the moon. <laughs> that's true. I mean, like I, yeah, no, I think it's worth it. You know, I bet, I bet, ten years from now, it'll be worth that and more. Probably would have been better invested in the stock market, but you know, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Sure. The bag holding the samples was mislabeled as coming from Apollo 17. So the bag and the trace dust inside were then sold in 1975, passing through a few hands until it ended up at the Kansas Cosmosphere and Space Center, whose president ended up in prison in 2015 for stealing and selling museum artifacts. Oh, no. The moon sample bag (laughs) didn't actually end up being one of those items. Uh, So instead, the U.S. Marshals put it on auction to pay for restitution for the guy's crimes in that auction, a lawyer bought the sample for about a thousand dollars, thought it might have been from an earlier Apollo mission. So she sent it back to NASA. NASA realized it was from Apollo 11, d- decided the samples belonged to them. But Carlson was like, no, uh, you can't say that it's yours. It's mine. I paid for it. They went to court. A She's judge a ruled that it belonged to Carlson. She then ended up putting a, a, the bag alone uh for 1.8 million dollars and the dust that was cleaned from it is what ended up being put on auction here so she managed to sell the bag and the dust separately (laughs) but the clean bag the bag was worth more i think maybe it had neil armstrong's like handwriting on it maybe a very cool bag i guess but a clean bag a not dusty bag Uh, maybe maybe they did they didn't say they were like here's a a moon dust bag and people assumed it was gonna have the dust in it and then she was like ha ha i just said bag (laughs) dust will cost you extra that dust that dust will be an extra half a mil half a mil yeah well i guess you can't completely clean out the dust like what do they do turn it inside out and run it under a faucet or something like put some tissue up to their mouth and suck on it suck it out There's probably some dust in there, even yeah, if they tried probably to go a little bit. It went to the moon. But that means that Sam gets to go first. Sorry to take up so much time with moon dust stuff. So when, when humans invented plastic, we must have felt pretty cool. At last, we had jugs to transport milk more efficiently than ever, tires for our cars. We can make toys out of plastic so that kids didn't have to play with boring wooden toys anymore. Truly, plastic is humanity's friend, ushering in the world of tomorrow. On the other hand, when people see spiders, we think, Eek, eek, a horrible creature with too many legs. Some of them are poisonous. They pop up where you least expect them. They don't even help us transport our milk more efficiently. Truly, spiders are humanity's enemy, offering us nothing but misery. But what if I told you it was actually the opposite? 
Plastic, in fairness, Ooh. is pretty good in a lot of ways and has done a lot of great things for humanity, but it does have one nasty, unforeseen side effect that we're just kind of starting to understand the implications of microplastics. So officially defined as fragments of plastic less than 0.2 inches in diameter, microplastics are basically plastic dust containing things like microfibers from clothes, the little scrubby beads and like soap and body washes, just little flakes of plastic falling off of shopping bags or car tires. These things are in the air and the ocean and the soil, and they're small enough that they can get inside of the bodies of living things and, and do things that are probably not good. Like for instance, how we talked about how they mess with the brains of hermit crabs recently. So maybe plastics aren't very after all. So tracking and measuring microplastics in our environment could turn out to be vital for the health of the world, but since microplastics are basically dust in the wind, it's not really super easy to track airborne particles without the right equipment, and it's really hard in places where it's impossible to access electricity, like mountains and stuff. But in 2020, a team of scientists in Germany devised a cheap, easy method for tracking microplastics, and this is where we must return hat in hand to the lily spider. So one of the most famous things about spiders is that they spin sticky webs to catch bugs with, uh, and just because they're sticky and out in the open, the spider webs also happen to catch lots of dust in addition to bugs. Uh, so these scientists thought, hey, yes. I bet there's microplastics in there. And they went to it. bus shelters in the German city of Oldenburg, <laughs> uh, collected a bunch of spider webs, and ran them through like a mass spectrometer or something. And boy, were they right. It turns out that on average, 10% of the mass of spider webs that they collected <gasps> were made of microplastics. A majority yeah. of them seem to be fibers from clothes made of the plastic PET. Mm-hmm. And the second most was yeah. vinyl particles from car tires, which makes sense because mm-hmm. they were bus shelters. And they could even tell how busy the streets were based on the amount of car tire microplastics, which seems to mean that spiderwebs are a precise enough detector of airborne microplastics in an area that they could be adopted as that cheap, easy way to collect samples without having to bust out lab equipment or worry about plugging anything in. So it turns out mm. spiders aren't that bad after all. But surprisingly, none of the articles that I found seemed all that worried that a tenth of each web was microplastics or like what that means for the spiders. I <laughs> feel like this is not good. Yeah, I feel like as a spider, I'd be like, that's annoying. My web's like part of the whole point is that I'm trying yeah. to get strong and light. Yeah. And suddenly my my webs are 10% heavier than these. It's like litter. We're littering on the poor spider's lawn. Oh, but that seems bad to me, but nobody homes. was mentioning it. I wonder if spiders are changing their silk based on it too. They're like, we need it mm. extra sticky because it's going to be, you know how like when you put tape on yeah. a surface once, it gets mm-hmm. kind of worse. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then they're like, oh, oh yeah. man, our webs are getting slightly worse. So we mm-hmm. need to do yeah. extra. I think that bus station spiders are like the me of spiders. Okay. Where they're, they're just like, by virtue of where they're living, <laughs> yeah, they probably don't think to care that much about dust. They got to change their standards it. a little bit. Yeah, they just sure. don't notice. Yeah, I bet there's some spiders that would be more sensitive, but they don't live in the bus station. And they can always just yeah. go down and get like a bite of a a corn dog or something, probably if they're really hungry. Yeah, you know? yeah. So instead of like, what's your dust tolerance? What kind of spider are you? Are you a bus yeah. station spider? Are you, are you a like a idyllic pond in the forest spider? Yeah. <laughs> I love that, Sam. I, I love that scientists are so smart, and I love that spiders are helping us out yeah. in the ways that they can. Sarah, what do you got for us? So everything we launch into space is super expensive. So when scientists think about how humans would construct shelters on the moon or Mars, they got to get creative about utilizing resources that are already there. And mostly what's there is dust, space dust. Uh-huh. 
And so we found ways to use dust in construction here on Earth. It's not a wild concept. Uh, we mix mm-hmm. limestone or other minerals with water to make cement, which is basically rock glue. And then cement can be mixed with bigger chunks like sand to make concrete, which is more structural, and mortar, which is like fancy rock glue. So it seems like the go-to research strategy here is to recreate space dust using what we know about the composition from Mars landers or samples from the moon. Um, I guess you could take the Apollo 11 sample, use it in the lab too. Um, And then you can see how strong we can make space concrete. Or at least that's the approach a team of researchers at the University of Manchester does. And they seem to be dominating the recent studies. Everything I found, I was like, that's <laughs> these guys again. Same, same folks. Same guys. Um, so one of their concrete recipes is straight out of a Hank Green Mad Libs, which is why I chose this <laughs> fact. It contains Martian dust plus human serum albumin, which is a protein oh, in our blood plasma. Okay, wow. Plus urea which is a waste product in our pee and their logic is hey the crew will already be there so why not have the crew mm-hmm. literally become a part of their buildings through their blood and pee they're making what? it anyway well if it if it yeah if it helps yeah and as an aside various cultures historically did use animal bloods like ox blood in mortar to make their masonry more sturdy oh, or know. used animal blood in wood composites so this isn't completely out of left field it's just out of left field to my brain and this blood piss martian concrete isn't half bad uh while the typical concrete on earth has a compressive strength that ranges between 20 and 32 megapascals the best formulation of this material had an average strength of almost 40 megapascals and could be molded or 3d printed so it's like on the upper end of regular concrete and This concrete is the objectively funniest choice for Mars habitats, like making people live in piss house. Uh, But the same team does do rigorous science and has explored other options, too. I can't do them dirty on this podcast. They've considered additional binding materials like spider silk, actually, because it has similar protein structures to human serum albumin. Two recipes that sound like they're from a cookbook. Martian dust plus potato starch plus salt. And to be fair, the best batch of potato concrete had a compressive strength of 72 megapascals and would be using crew food rather than crew bodies as ingredients. So it's overall a better and simpler and less invasive option, but that wasn't the fun one. It's only kind (laughs) of fun. Potato concrete, Uh, blood piss concrete. I'm totally (laughs) down with piss. Cause like that, I need like I'm not I'm not doing anything with it. I'm sure mm-hmm. that like maybe the scientists got other things they can do with it, but with blood, you're taking out something I need. So you might as well use a potato, which is something I also need, but like haven't turned into anything you don't yet. Gotta poke a hole in yourself to get it, or they got to bring an ox with them to Mars. You know, the bleeding ox. Yeah, that's the solution. <laughs> can't can't afford to bring bricks, but we can strap an ox to the. <laughs> the space shuttle look it just keeps bring churning it. out more blood it's amazing yeah, bring a baby <laughs> ox and by the time you get there i don't know maybe just a really yeah. little one <laughs> just a little just big and then it just keep giving it potatoes until yep. it's just yep. turn just until like it's just a big blood dumping blood, blood all over the yeah. place <laughs> it can't even keep all that blood inside itself i feel like potatoes is better am i yeah. right i think so. i think by all better. measures yeah but they didn't try potatoes and urea so who knows and if it's if it's if piss is the best then you just bring a minion with you exactly we all know they're full of piss mm -hmm. yeah you bring a little ox and a little minion and then you're set you got infinite concrete that's the cheat code for infinite concrete yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> so here's what I think. I think first Sam's ahead already. And mm-hmm. also Sam's like the interesting part of you, of Sari's fact is the piss blood. Whereas the interesting <laughs> fact of Sam's fact is kind of more like the dust. Like it seems to have more to do with dust great to me. Great point. Great point. So I, <laughs> uh-huh. this Fair. is my thinking. Yeah. Um, and I also think like, it's kind of, I think it's cute. I think it's nice though. I'm sure the spiders are like, why did you take my house? And it's like, don't worry. It's for the environment. Congratulations, Sam. Yay. I'm running away with this episode of SciShow Tangents. I would like to make a TikTok out of both of those, though. But will I? Probably not. I'm too tired. <laughs> the kids will love Piss House, though. Come on. <laughs> would you, right. Do you want to live in a piss blood house? <laughs> you can today. Start collecting. There's one, I find out one way to get blocked on TikTok by the TikTok <laughs> censors. It's by starting out with the words piss blood house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now it's time to ask the science couch where we got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. Straight from the hot new website X, we got a question from no. at Frage no. and <laughs> at Mice and Pumpkins. They ask, when, when people are allergic to dust, what part of the dust oh. are they allergic to? Oh, that's a great hmm. question. I think I might be wrong about this, but I think that usually when you're allergic to dust, you are allergic to the leavings of insects yeah, or, and, or bugs, just bugs because arachnids. Cause I think it's a lot of mites. Did I get <laughs> it? Question answered. You got it. Yeah. We, you were, you strayed when you said insects, but then you brought it back home with bugs because <laughs> it, it is, it is dust mites um, or yeah. storage mites are the two and mites are eight legs. So they're arachnids. When I Googled house dust mites, I thought I would find one species. There are a bunch, depending on where mm. you live. There's like mm-hmm. an American dust mite and a European dust mite. Oh. And tropical storage mites um, that live in various darkish, humid environments. That's the thing that they, they have in common. Dust mites tend to live in more fabrics um, and like soft things. And storage mites tend to live in like kitchen cupboards or food storage areas which are soft in their own way is it they're crapping they're they're pooping yeah yeah (laughs) but they're just like they're existing so dust itself doesn't necessarily have a lot of proteins in it Mm. um i guess there's like the decaying human skin cells there's often like some organic material in especially house dust like bacteria anything that we or our animal friends shed as part of it but then dust mites they really like junk and dust because they eat that dead stuff uh they eat dead skin cells they eat any any little thing that could give them nutrients as part of it and um we recognized in like the 1920s that house dust was causing allergic reactions like people were sneezing when dust was knocked up from soft objects and then in the 1960s we realized that was probably house dust mites we probably like got better at magnifying things we found these little critters inside mm-hmm. and then it was in 1981 that they were like it's the poop it's the fecal <laughs> wow. particle that is causing these allergies oh, we, we could have lived in a simpler time you guys <laughs> like there was a time when we didn't have to know that that we are always inhaling massive amounts of feces fairly new piece of information yeah and so they like extracted various bits from the mites and and amplified those proteins and then tested them as allergens 
when they're testing for allergens, um, immunoglobulin, immunoglobulin E um, is the one that you test for, for mm-hmm. like house dust allergies, because it's a specific kind of hypersensitivity. It's usually one that um, develops later in life. Like once you get sensitized to the, the stimulus, once you experience house dust might poop, then you develop the allergy to it. You don't, you aren't like born with the allergy necessarily. Mm. Um, and you can't have like genetic predispositions to it. But um, if you get like exposed to house, house dust poop, house dust might poop, then <laughs> like experience your wheezing and sneezing and whatnot. And there's like some evidence that proteins in the mite exoskeletons or dead bodies, like little bits of their casings, like they molt as part of their growing up process or they just like die because their lifespan is around 100 days max. So in addition to living mites in all this dust, there are also dead mites in oh. all this dust. So it's possible that some of the sneezing comes from that as well. But that's it. Those are the proteins that you get sensitized to. That for some reason grosses me out more that inhaling the corpses. I don't know why. It's all, it's all bad. Yeah. All bad. One line from this paper really uh, made me giggle. It uh, was, in keeping with their cosmopolitan nature, dust mites or mite allergens have been found in submarines or and even in the space station. So, you know, wow. in like yeah. clean, sterile environments, mm-hmm. they're gonna uh, be they still got dust. Are. They yeah. still got dust mites. So you don't have to mm-hmm. feel so bad about yourself in your house. Definitely not. Because Definitely not. They're literally everywhere. If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet at topics for upcoming episodes every week, or join the SciShowTangents Patreon and ask us on our Discord. Thanks to at LauraStar2009, at MuppetLamp, and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's real easy to do that. You can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. We currently are at 680 patrons, so we are tantalizingly close to discovering (laughs) just how much piss a minion can really hold. Second, leave us a review wherever you listen. That's very helpful and helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell Tell people people about about us. Thank you for joining us. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz. Our associate producer is Eve Schmidt. Our editor is Seth Glixman. Our story editor is Alex Pillow. Our social media organizer is Julia Buzzbazio. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarty. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish. Our executive producers are Nicole Sweeney and me, Hank Green. And of course, we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire. But one more thing. We've talked about dust mite poop already, but you don't have to be microscopic to make fecal dust, or if you prefer the more colorful term, shust, which uh-huh. stands, which is the contraction of shit dust. If the air is hot and windy enough, any poop can get dried out and blown away mm. and inhaled by unsuspecting people. The stink and respiratory issues from Shust were problems in cities like New York and London in the late 1800s when horse-drawn vehicles were all the rage and horse poop 
was all over the streets. And these health risks are still a reality for people who live near cattle feedlots in the state of Texas, where there's basically just uh, cows ready for slaughter and lots of dry, dusty dirt. So everybody watch out for the shust. Is shust like a scientific term? Who's saying shust out there? I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did Terry just make that up? No, the people in Texas are saying oh, shust that in the in the deep investigative journalism that I I found. I don't think they were saying that in uh, 1800s yeah. London no, when no. Hubert was walking around. Yeah, please, yeah. could you vacuum up my shit dust? Yeah, if he heard somebody say that, he'd pass out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that guy's name? Hubert. Hubert. <laughs> my house is full of shust. It's no, it's no good. That's the Queen of England talking. It's no good. Come on over you to Buckingham Palace. Clean up my shust out of my fabrics. <laughs> Which sound like. <laughs>